cord here too, just so I can cut it out. All right, rolling, rolling, rolling. Big clap. Do a clap, Clay, just in case the other ones didn't catch it. Okay. All right. Um, I think we're going to do this just like a podcast, and we'll uh, do the – I'll do all the editing or whatever afterwards. So let's do – Got that new AI podcast thing. Tool. Commercial. Go. Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. Um, this is a big one for us. We've been waiting to do this over two years now. And um, the film, we're, we're pre-recording this, spoiler alert, and uh, because we don't want to put this out until after the film comes out. But we're shooting the heck out of this thing, and we are going to sit here while it is pouring down rain out here and talk about something that we have been working on for a long time that we're super, super passionate about, that we all took a lot of time, blood, sweat, tears, energy, thought, and uh, we finished the film that's called The Call. And I can tell you where I was when the idea for it hit me. And it was an idea and a story and a film that I felt we had to tell and I wanted us to tell it on our own terms. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But it was something that I feel like the industry needs and wants. But the only way we were going to get to do it is if we did it on our own. Um, so we kind of wanted to sit down today and talk about kind of where our heads were with it and what we got out of it and where we want to go from here. Um, it airs on... NWTF's social media page on Sunday. Today is Thursday. But it's one of those things that we didn't know how to do this in the very beginning when the idea hit us. We took a lot of time in planning to do it, and there's a lot of things we would change now in, in, in the process of doing it. But it was very much a collaboration between everybody here at Copeland Creative. It was very much a team effort, and obviously when you watch it, Jamie Shire, one of our really good friends, um, plays the role of the hunter that's in there. Um, we purposely did several things in this that we're going to get into in a little bit, but we wanted to make a film. We wanted to make a genuine film because we do not believe that there's been a genuine film in the hunting world or the fly fishing world, for that matter, in a long time. They're glorified web episodes, and we did not want to make a glorified web episode. Web episode. We wanted to make a true film. And this is a fictional story that one of these days will be nonfiction for a lot of us. And we wanted to listen to motion. We wanted to do a lot of things. And I think we hit the mark, but as I'm sure Ryer will say, and Clay, now that we've done it, there's a lot of things that we would do differently, but kind of how was the, how, what was the process for you? Because Ryer, I, I called you as soon as I had the idea going down the road, I was right there at 60 and 400 right there where Waffle House and Home Depot are. That's where I had the idea, and I immediately picked up the phone and called you. I don't even know, Clay, were you even, yeah, you were here when, when we were, when I had the idea. You were already working here, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, two years ago. Okay, you were here. I immediately called you. What was your, what did, what did I say, and then do you remember, and then what did, what was your thought process on it? Uh, I remember that I was in uh, St. Simon Island. Uh, which oh really yeah oh I didn't remember that part I'd gone down there to visit a buddy of mine and uh, I think it was kind of the middle-ish of the day um, and oddly enough actually I was working on some random stuff for Blue Stem that day um, kind of to release on our own uh, YouTube channel and stuff like that 
And I remember you called me and I went out on like the porch of the little Airbnb house we were staying in. Uh, and you told me about the idea and, um, that you got inspiration, uh, for a part of it from a Netflix series. So, uh, I think I went and watched that like in the next couple of days. I, 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 this was December, 2020, like the end of December, beginning of January, 2020 okay. when, when, uh, you called me and I just looked that up on my phone. Okay. How um, did you, how did you look that up on your phone? Your phone would go back that far on calls? No. Cause I knew I had like taken pictures and because your phone metadata tags locations, oh. you can go and like open up a map view. And then you Look can you. zoom into different places. Could you? It's actually, I do that a lot for finding like when I was places or where specifically I was for certain things. Uh, but anyways, uh, I know that was early 2021. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought it was a really exciting idea. Um, not being somebody who comes from the hunting world you kind of had to explain to me the concept mm -hmm. and why uh, it was uh, something impactful for a lot of people, uh, especially people who have kind of grown up hunting, um, you know. Uh, and so I thought that it was a really cool concept. Uh, it was something that even coming from outside of the hunting world, as soon as you explained it to me, I went, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like connected the dots because um, – filming people i've seen the call happen a lot um but i myself and probably even a lot of people who have a hunting background um probably kind of glaze over or don't understand kind of the deeper significance of the call yeah um maybe we should explain that too well to i'm being go ahead i'm being uh Purposefully mysterious. Yeah, right I figured you were. Um, and so I thought it was a really cool concept. I watched the, I watched the, um, a little bit of the inspiration, and then uh, I think it just kind of like flew in the back burner for a little while, uh, until one day, you're like, "Well, we got some time. Why don't we think about?" Which is rare what, for like, us to have yeah, some time. Why don't we think about? Uh, shooting that and I think for me a lot of the times that's kind of where my process starts mm -hmm. um, because I mean if you guys have listened to the podcast and if you haven't you know you can go listen to them and you'll kind of get a better idea of who we are and kind of our roles and what we all uh, kind of do well and where we all fit into the larger puzzle that is Copeland Creative uh, you're always the ideas man not always, but I would say a large majority of the time you're the ideas man. Uh, and then generally my role kind of starts once it is time to put that idea into motion. Um, and so when we started talking about how to film it and what we wanted it to look like and all that stuff, uh, that's where I really got to start thinking about how we would shoot that. And obviously we talked about that together um, but I think that was kind of the initial process for me. Uh, I know that I was initially uh, excited but also a little nervous about the prospect of uh, shooting and editing something that was completely narrative and something driven by a very large and heavy emotion. Um, I haven't, and I don't know if you have. I, can't, I won't speak for you, but I had not to that point really edited stuff that was narrative. Now, we've edited a lot of um, brand stuff with small stories for, like, commercials and uh, different marketing things that were, um, you know, fictionalized. Yeah. But it wasn't a – it wasn't supposed to be a narrative. It was more like, hey, let's tell a small story yeah, here. I'm it wasn't a giant – it wasn't a whole narrative yeah. piece um, that had been thought through – for a specific intention. Yeah. Uh, and I had not filmed and edited something that dealt with... Uh, the weight that the this The weight one and yeah. the emotion that this one would yeah. have. This one's got a lot of weight to it. Uh, and so I think initially I was kind of... It was exciting, obviously, but also um, you have a lot of 
doubt and a lot of not knowing going into that how exactly to do it and mm. tackle it. Yeah. I want to get into some of the challenges in a minute, but I think, you know, Ryer kind of nibbled around the edges of what the film is. And since this is going to come out after, if you haven't seen it, you absolutely need to go see it because this is going to be a giant spoiler. So if you have not seen the film, please go do it. Um, I don't want this to ruin it for you, but since this is coming out after, I feel like we've we've teased and teased and teased and teased about this film. So now that it's out... Well, maybe instead of going with the plot, tell me about your idea okay. first. Because so, you had the idea, yeah. which spurred you yeah. thinking about how do we convey that. So okay. tell me about the idea first. So the idea like I said, came to me going, going down the road, I guess December 2020. I didn't remember when it was. I knew it was about over two years ago. And um, essentially, I got to thinking, like, any time I've ever been successful in the field, deer hunting, turkey hunting, elk hunting, the first thing I do is I call my dad or my brother or a combination of the two. I uh, That's always my first call is to my dad to tell him, Hey, Dad, you know, killed a big deer or had a good morning turkey hunting or text him a picture or whatever it is. But those that's the first person when I pick up my phone after I'm successful in the field, I call. And it just it just hit me, which I get most of my thinking done while I'm driving because I do a lot of driving. Um, it hit me as like, you know, unfortunately, one of these days, I'm going to have a day where I'm successful in the field and my dad or hopefully not my brother, but definitely my dad won't be there on the other end. Um, and anybody who knows me knows my dad is the best human that's ever lived. And I absolutely, my goal in life is to be half the man my dad is. And for me to be able to call him and live vicariously through him or let him live vicariously through me and all my travels and let him be just a small part of that because he's the one that took me. He's the one that I was sitting at the base of the tree with 18 months old and he shot a deer with me. I've been technically, I guess, hunting since I was 18 months old, even though I don't remember it. Um, and so he's the person, and then I grew up hunting with my brother, so he's the second person. He's the person that I always call. And I thought, okay, how is that going to affect me when the day comes that he's not there on the other end of the phone? And I got to thinking, it's like, well, I'm not the only person I know that that's going to wreck. That's going to wreck pretty much everybody. And the idea of this isn't just about hunting or fishing. This transcends hunting and fishing. I mean, you could grow up going to recitals. You could grow up going to ball games. You could grow up, you know, with you know your parent or your uncle or your dad or whatever as your coach and one of these days when you're successful in life and that person's not on the other end that's going to affect you and I'm like okay how do we tell that story and I know Clay we talked about it because when we came up with the idea and we've talked to you you're like that's already happened to me with your granddad uh yeah I so I guess December 2020 would have been when you got the idea mm -hmm. and um August of 2020, literally like three weeks after I moved up here, my grandfather passed away. Well, that November, which is before you had the um, idea, I shot a buck on the farm my family hunted forever. Uh, and first person I went to call was my grandfather. Yeah. And the phone number was, um, or the line was discontinued. Yeah. And, and, and when we... When we, when we started talking about this, this idea and we started talking about it to people that were really close to us and we said, is this something that you're going to relate to? Which we knew the answer. I had probably over half of them say, I still have a number in my phone I call. Um, or I look at it every day or I look at a picture every time I'm successful because that's who I shared it with and they're no longer here. And we're like, okay, this is a powerful message. How do we do this and how do we do it justice? And that was the challenge that we then embarked on. It literally started with the idea. I explained it to Ryer. Come back and Clay's like, that's me right now. Um, lots of other people, that's me right now. Or, you know, or I had one of my really good friends, Daniel Tritt. I sent him the idea in, in the very first rough cut. And I remember his text is like, 
why did you send me that? I refuse to believe that's going to happen one day. But it is. Um, it's going to happen to, you know, unfortunately it's going to happen to all of us. And I wanted to be able to do something that was impactful and that was completely against the narrative that all outdoor films are created in today, which is if you got to kill a big deer, you got to kill the turkey, you got to kill the elk or nobody watches the film. And I just am like, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to show heritage, to show family, to show tradition. There's a better way to elicit an emotion that's genuine. I also feel like they all have happy endings. Yeah. Even if the happy ending isn't a uh, dead animal, right? Yeah. That's obviously the quintessential happy ending to every hunting story mm. is you're successful in the field. Yeah. Um, but there are a, there is a set of films where, you know, things don't die, but it's that is used as a lens to be like, well, it's not all about that. Yeah. And I learned this or I experienced this or being a hunter isn't necessarily about that, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all, you know, obviously things that we want to strive for uh, as hunters and people in the outdoors. But it's still a happy ending, right? Because even though you didn't get the success that you wanted hunting-wise, you still got a positive life experience from it, which I equate to a happy ending. Um, you, I don't think I've seen uh, a... a film or piece where the ending wasn't spun in such a way, right? Yeah. It's it's always a happy ending. You don't ever get an ending that isn't. And I think that that was also a kind of part of... That's something that we've talked about before, but yeah. um, this was definitely something where we knew the ending was not happy. Yeah. Well, it we... We knew the ending wasn't happy, and for most people it isn't happy, and it's going to make them think, and it's going to make them emotional, and that was the goal. But I did have one person, my uncle Steve, who I, I respect a lot. He's very, very smart. Um, I showed him the film as a family one night before we ever released it, when we finally finished it. I sent it to him, and he didn't say anything afterwards, and usually he's you know got some really good feedback, and um, he didn't say anything to me. You know, he just said, you know, that was, that was really good, you know, kind of generic answer. And then he texts me two or three days later and he goes, I wanted you to know that when I watched the film the first time, he said, it made me think of my dad who's gone. And he said, it made me very sad and emotional and made me think back and reflect. He's like, which I think was your goal. He's like, but it also, once I got past that, it made me think of all the really good times I had with him. And he said it it really spun it to a positive, happy thing for me. So I think it can do both if you let it do both. Um, I, you know, in terms of how we did it, you know, we, we shot it as nonfiction um, because we, or I mean, we shot it as fiction because we felt like we had to. Um, and it is acting. It is, you know, all the things. And I think Jamie did a really good job to not be quote unquote an actor. But it was one of those things to where when we told him about it and he grew up hunting with his dad, he's like, I have to do it. I have to be a part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, he did a really good job. But the, the, I think the crazy thing, and I guess we're going to kind of pull back the veil a little, little bit on how we did it, was that first scene, the idea was in December. We shot the first scene in February of 21, right? Yes. In my old house that I've since sold, so I don't even own that house anymore. Which um, turned into an obstacle when we actually said yeah. it because we, <laughs> yeah. we would have loved to be able to go back to yeah. the set and shoot a couple yeah. of pickups. But yeah, who would have who would have thought um, that the all the house stuff was shot in my old house? Um, spoiler alert: all the rain is clay outside with the water hose. <laughs> That's the most pivotal role I had in this entire thing <laughs> until we get to the review process. Yeah. <laughs> so he's outside with the water hose making it rain. Which if we'd have filmed it right now, we wouldn't have to do that because it rains every day. Um, well, that was the thing. Didn't we pick a day? We were like, okay, well, it's definitely supposed to no, rain. it rained two days before, and it rained the day after, but it didn't rain the, that yeah, day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, you want it to rain, invite us hunting. If you don't want it to rain, call us for a scene that needs rain. It won't rain. But so Clay was our rain machine, and uh, Ryer was running audio and helping me. I was kind of DP in it and all that in the house, and it was – 
we shot all the early morning scenes at night, and then we shot all the actually we shot all of it at night, didn't we? All, no, we shot all of it in one night. Yeah, yeah. But didn't we 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 blacked out the windows for the scene in the living room, didn't we? Yeah, I mean the living room was naturally dark, so yeah. we didn't really yeah uh, we didn't need that the the um, the kitchen scene was the last scene that we shot uh, because See, we I don't even remember that yeah, I we remember. needed it to be dark. I thought the uh, scene in the bed was the last scene we did. No, no, we did that one before. So the the order of shooting on the day was uh, some miscellaneous kind of like location shots first uh which are some of the first shots that you see in the film and then after that we went to do the uh living room scene uh which we shot fairly sequentially um there's actually a whole second part of that scene that didn't make it into the film uh and then we went to the bedroom and shot the bedroom scene and then after that we shot the um kitchen table kitchen sink scene which is um the i i guess that's the first scene of the film because mm-hmm. the first scene kind of opens with some of those uh still location shots and then moves into that scene yeah um but yeah we shot that in 2021 yeah which we got the inspiration for the opening scene from a netflix film called midnight sky and if you watch the opening scene of midnight sky you'll see some similarities um, on how we shot it and the design or the, the, the shot choices and um, how we wanted to make it feel and look and all that. Um, if you pay attention in some of the scenes, there's a lots of little things that we tried to introduce. Um, there's some, you know, shot rotations where, you know, he starts to spiral and there's, there's a lot of things that we added in there to try and add some, add some film and production value that we don't normally get to do. Um, and we really tried to keep it simple, but to be able to really elicit that emotion and use music, use a scene, use an actor to be able to do something cool. And uh, I learned a lot from that. There's a lot of things we would do differently. We would take a lot more time to do things. We would overshoot more than we did. Um, there are some scenes that we didn't use, but... Uh, so, so we shot that in yeah. That's in what I was February getting twenty twenty one. Obviously, it's now. By the time that people are probably watching this, it's May yeah twenty twenty three. So mm-hmm. it's like what took us three years, yeah. two years to get it out. So the first scene was shot February or March twenty twenty one. The first turkey scene was shot. Actually, we did a whole another trip for it in Georgia that spring. That was supposed to be the original. That was supposed to be the original. We filmed for two days. Yeah, and didn't get anything that we needed. We then go to Kansas the next spring, which would have been 22, mm-hmm. spring of 2022. We got three quarters of the way through the film, and we thought we need another scene. And so the deer scene at the very end we shot this past fall, and that's actually a frozen deer that we borrowed out of a deer cooler. Um, so there's the wool been pulled back over your eyes. Um, lots of spoilers. If you haven't seen the film, please God go watch it and you know let us know what you think. But it was something that I had to tell, and I feel like we set out with a couple of goals because, like I said earlier, I don't think there's been a true film done in the outdoor space that I've ever seen. Um, first thing is we did not want to put put a kill in there. We purposely did not want to want that in there. Second, Which I will add that we did have that we fought. Yeah, uh, in editing when we got to a certain sticking point that we can talk about later. Yeah, but I, we initially set out for no kill, and then we had some discussions about perhaps going back on that. Yeah, um, based on some feedback we had gotten and just kind of generally trying to figure out what we were missing at a certain yeah. point. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, I so we set out to do a couple things. We, we finally got to the thought of we're, we're purposely not going to put a kill in there. We are purposely not going to put any voiceover because if you know me, I don't like voiceover unless you have to have it. We're not going to put in any interviews because you put interviews in something, it becomes a web show, not a film. Um, and we're going to make this not a happy ending. 
Um, we tried to literally go against everything we've ever seen. And, and and it's not pushed by any brands. And it's not pushed by any brands. I mean, there's brands in there, but n- nobody paid us for it. We this is this entire thing was completely out of Copeland Creative's pocket. And uh, the NWTF, I showed it to someone there, and they loved it. That's why they're putting it out there because they feel like this is a story that resonates with you know people that are a part of National Wild Turkey Federation, which we also do too. But this is something that we self-funded. We planned it. We shot it. We, I don't know, how many hours do you think we have in the editing process? Well, there were, what, six revisions, six different versions of this? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to keep track of my too, time. Too many, <laughs> too many. Um, but, you know, it got to the point to where we're like, okay, this has to be done. We have to get it out. Um, we got to where we were happy with it happy enough with it, we'll never completely be happy with anything we ever do, which I think is a good thing because that strives you to always be better and work harder and, and do cooler stuff. But at the same time, we knew that this is something that's got to be put out there, um, and we're really good at working on deadlines. We're not when we don't. So I finally just had to put a deadline on it, so we got it done, and we got it done within the deadline. Um, and we're really proud of it. Um there were, though, a lot of challenges to it. Um, making three years' worth of different scenes mesh together and work was one of those things. Working on our schedules in between clients' work and Jamie's schedule and hunts in different states and finding a deer for things and borrowing a turkey for the one scene. And, um, you know, everybody always asks, like, well, I would love to see some scenes with his, him hunting with his dad. Um, well, we'd love that too, but we, it just wasn't in the cards. And the hardest, I think the hardest thing was fitting it into 10 minutes. Like we, we had a goal of fitting it into 10 minutes and I think that we could have done it even, I think we could have dove deeper. Um, and I think the hardest thing was for me was the goal for me when we first started thinking about it creatively was I want it to be ambiguous as to what's happening in the very beginning especially like the first third, the first half. Like, I don't want people to know what's going on. And that was on purpose. I, uh, a lot of people, that was their feedback. It's like, I didn't really know what was going on until this happened. I'm like, that was on yeah, purpose. They we, said it was slow and they couldn't get past like yeah. the first 30 seconds or a minute. And yeah. that's what all of us says. Like, we're not going to change that because we intentionally yeah. Oh, yeah. shot we got, it for that. We got a lot of pushback on that. It's like, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And it's like, we could do that, but that would ruin the suspense. And we wanted to build that suspense. We wanted to build that mystery. And uh, so when you watch it, it is intentional. Everything, every single thing in there is intentional. Um, lots of, I mean, not only how many hours you worked editing it, but how many hours do we all sit around and talk about it and, and work on it and figure out, uh, somebody's at the door. Awesome. Perfect timing. And they're gone. Um, not only did we spend way too much time talking about it, but how much time do we spend just sitting just like this and talking about it? Like, how do we do this? How do we get this out of them? How do we do this? How do we get from here to here? How do we make three scenes in three different states and three different years work together? You know, I mean, it was a complete and utter crab shoot half the time, but I think it turned out as good as it could have under the, under the circumstances. Oh, it's my turn. Yeah, well, I'm looking at you. Um, yeah, I agree. I think I think that there was uh, it was a very interesting learning process um, because it was something that we had full control over, which which is rare. Is very rare. Um, it was something where we had a very specific goal in mind, and um, I mean, I think at certain points, all of us were uh, kind of like, quote-unquote, done with it, right? Oh, yeah. My done with it is like, it's just not going to work, right? Like, yeah. we shot we shot the house scenes, and then we kept trying to shoot the turkey scenes, and I was like, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not working. It's not happening. It's just, you know, we had a fun time shooting it and coming up with the idea, and maybe we've got a little bit better idea going forward, but, like, there was a point in time where I thought it's just going to be one of those things that sits on a server. Mm-hmm. Um we we'll got a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know there were points of the process where you were definitely like, we just got to get it out. Yeah. Like, we just need to go do this. I get and to the point a lot and I, than I used to. Yeah, you, you and I are, that's one of the, 
uh, that's one of the points of contention that we have a lot is mm-hmm. you're a let's get it out guy. And I'm like, let's make it right guy. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a let's make it right or let, just let it sit on a server. <laughs> uh, and, and you're like, well, I paid a lot of money for this. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I would like for her to see it. Um, which I think ultimately both that push and pull uh, led it to be what it is. Because yeah. there was a, you're like, well, we shot it. Let's figure out how to get it done, even if it doesn't end up how we had in our heads. Uh, and then, uh, which pushed us into figuring out how to solve the problems. Yeah. And then um, me kind of saying, hey, let's wait and hold this back until we can get this, until we can solve those problems. Yeah. Um, so I think there was a, a big learning curve there as far as, um, how do you kind of go about solving problems, especially when you can't go and we can't reshoot here, we can't reshoot there, um, and we've got a very specific story we're trying to tell. And then um, just, like you said, trying to match everything up and and get things to work. I think especially because of the nature of it, uh, it it's a very – there's some very abstract um, – there's some very abstract things that happen during it that uh, were kind of hard to wrap your head around and to accomplish, um, you know, because you have this goal. You're like, okay, we want it to feel like this. Well, shooting and editing something and achieving that feeling is much harder done than said or much easier said than done. Um, and like Clay said, there was multiple iterations. I have a couple sheets here of things that we can get into later on more detail but there were iterations where we were messing with uh the order of scenes the length of scenes the feel of scenes uh different ways to move throughout the scenes um there were there were versions with scenes that were almost entirely synthesized that we hadn't thought of originally um there were just a lot of us trying different things, yeah. which one is something we don't get to do a lot of because we work on pretty quick timelines and we're often working on things that are fairly chronological. Uh, so you don't have the latitude or the need or the time to go messing around with uh, all of those things. But when you have a narrative film uh, and you have complete control over it, then you kind of open open up that possibility for yourself, which is good and bad because uh, you have way more options, but with those options come more decisions, so it can be tough to kind of narrow that down. Um, but I think that, like you said, ultimately, I, I think that doing it over the course of three years, um, we were able to actually accomplish what we had set out to do. Yeah, um, I think that it definitely turned out uh, as good as we would have wanted it to. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's important, too, to note that um, in between the idea and it actually getting released, I mean, there was three years of us doing other work and learning different techniques. Like, if I had edited that, um, if I had edited that the same year that we shot it, I don't think it would have turned out the same way um, because there's a lot of stuff that I did in that edit that... I didn't. I wasn't doing two or three years ago because I didn't know how to do it, or I wasn't thinking to do those things. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that time kind of allowed us to mature uh, and develop skill sets that ultimately led to it being able to be what it is. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think another issue we had is, I mean, on, honestly, I think there are seven or eight dis- different versions of this. I'm sure there are. And we got to like version three or four or whatever it was, and we stopped feeling the emotion that we were trying to get because one, obviously we know what's happening. We shot it, but like we were so just used to, I don't want to say used to, but like we knew what was going to happen that we became accustomed to that, that hard hit that we wanted people to feel Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of people out there. Like, I don't even think we can name them all that we sent revisions to 
to get their opinion on it because yeah. we, we had seen it so many times that we couldn't feel that emotion that we wanted other people to feel. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a lot of reason why there's so many different versions. It's like, no, nah, that one doesn't hit. Let's try this. That one doesn't hit. Try this. That one doesn't hit. Try this. When in reality, they all probably hit. We had just seen it so many times yeah, we for were so to long. It. Yeah. That we just, we couldn't feel it on the post-production side based off of just seeing it seven or eight times. Yeah. Well, and then we sent it, I sent it to probably, I sent different iterations at different points to different people, and I, like, strategically, I, again, we're going to go back to the newsroom. I, I saved some people for the red team. Um, and if you don't know what the red team is in the, in, the, in news, if they're working on a story, they they purposely keep some people in the dark till the very end to show it to fresh eyes at the very end. So I saved a few of my really close friends and family for the red team at the very end. And the feedback I kept getting was it's really, really powerful. It's really, really emotional. It's a little slow at the beginning. Why don't you change that to speed it up? But that was really the only thing we ever got, but we were making it that way. We wanted to like lull you and then hit you in the stomach, which is what the goal was. And I think I watched it with a few of my friends and I think Ryer, you did too. And I'm sure Clay did. And we would get to that part where the gut punch is coming, and then you hear people go, oh, or, oh, no. Or like, okay, now I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to get to that point to where they're like, all right, what are you trying to do here? I'm very confused. And we even named it the call on purpose. We wanted the call to be ambiguous as to what it is. Is it a turkey call? Is it, you know, what what is it? What is the call? Um, we Everything was done with a purpose. We kicked around different names for the, the film itself. We kicked around logos and designs. And, I mean, dude, I don't, I'd love to know the money and time I have invested in it. I don't know. It's a lot. Well, if you're going off a day rate, you've got a lot, lot of <laughs> yeah, money. Yeah, a lot of money in it. Um, but here's the here's the thing is like, you know, we did this in between client work. We did it because we believed in it. And I think if it does what it's supposed to do, it's going to turn into us being able to do some more really cool ideas because turns out I got a few more um, that I'd love to do. But for every one that we do, we've got like 10, 15 yeah. that we haven't done. Yeah, exactly. I, I um. think what makes this, even though it is a fictional piece, is, yes, it's a fictional piece. There was an actor, which was Jamie, but all those scenes where he's talking, he doesn't have a script that he has to, like, memorize lines. It's still somewhat kind of get what you get and then redo it again if you have to. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's a turkey hunting scene in there. You can't. You can't script a turkey hunting scene, hence why we had an issue for two and a half years getting the turkey hunting scene right. And then, so there's that mix between, yes, the entire thing is fictional, but the turkey hunting actually happened, but there's an actor in there, but they don't have actual lines they have to memorize and say. So there's like a mix between that documentary that we love to do, but then actually still getting a fictional piece out there. Yeah. And I think my favorite shot, I know Ryer's favorite shot, my favorite shot is the one at the sink. Um, I love, you know, if you've ever been to any one of our classes and we talk about symmetry and we talk about, you know, uh, foreshadowing, we talk about all the things that we've talked about in films and things that inspire us. Like that to me is the scene. If you pay attention, that tells it tells you a lot. It's the rain. It really is. It tells you a lot. Um, I love how that shot turned out. Um, and I know what Ryder's favorite shot is. What's my favorite shot? It's the very last shot. The big wide at the end. Yeah, I think it's a. Well, I I would have a hard time honestly choosing between that and the right really? shot. Really? Yeah. Dang. Okay. My cool. favorite ones where he's eating pizza and throws it down on the plate and pushes the plate. Yeah. Well, that one's very similar to the rain shot. I mean, it's yeah. that center frame, that wide you know expanse, and it shows him being lonely. It shows him in a dark room. It shows him disheveled and you know downtrodden. Um, you know those that would probably be in my top three for sure. Um, I still wish we could have figured out a way to put in the scene where he stumbles down the hall. I don't think it would have added anything. I just loved the idea behind how we shot that scene and what we did. Yeah, um, I think it just didn't make sense. I think it would be interesting to kind of go over how we initially wanted it to play mm-hmm. scene wise and then kind of talk about what made it and what didn't. Let's go. And how we shot it and why we shot it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, um, the layout 
of the scenes uh, was the we would start in the empty house. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be dark. Uh, you're going to hear the sounds of rain and then somebody kind of shuffling around doing things. I feel like Ryer's about to start an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it, does it does have the audio book feel for sure. <laughs> Scene one, chapter one. Read by Red Velvet. <laughs> the microwave beeps and the door opens. It's actually, it's actually just red velvet. Instead of R-E-D, it's R-E-A-D. Well, now I think about that every time I listen to one of the um, the books, um, Jack Carr books, because it's read by Ray Porter. Mm. And he's got a really deep velvety it's voice. I'm like, it's gotta be a he's gotta be it's related. The porters, probably. <laughs> the men in our family have a long history of being good singers and, and orators. Oh god. Um so we knew that there was gonna be a series of steady location shots um that put you in a place that set up a mood and that um give us a slate for uh, some intro graphics and stuff like that, uh, and then lead into the first scene, which is um, Jamie eating, basically. Um, we shot him... Uh, I don't think we ever shot him actually getting the pizza out of the microwave, but we did shoot him getting to the table, sitting down, eating, drinking, getting up, uh, then going to the sink, washing his hands, and then... We never show him going to the sink. We see him right. show him getting up from the table, and then he's at the sink, yeah. Yeah, um, and then he uh, is looking out into the rain. Uh, and then after that, it was going to be a turkey hunting scene, which it is in the film. Uh, and I think that turkey hunting scene was going to be kind of like halfway. It was going to be the start of the morning... Uh, to about the point where uh, he calls and a turkey responds and he sets out after that turkey, uh, which we would then cut into the uh, drinking scene, which uh, we shot to have him enter, put a record on, sit down at the couch, uh, get drunk. And then uh, at the point where he starts crying, we were going to go to another hunting scene uh, where he was going to kill a turkey uh, and then call his dad uh, on the bed of the truck. Uh, and then we would come back from there uh, to the drinking scene, except for now he is going to be uh, stumbling down the hall, even drunker. Yeah. And he's going to get up, stumble down the hall, and go to bed where it will fade to black. And then we get the bedroom scene where um, you get the what – was supposed to be the big reveal, and it is still the big reveal, uh, of the alarm going off, him hitting it, turning on the light, which reveals the, um, the uh, why am I forgetting the name of the it? Obituary. The obituary. Yeah, uh, the obituary or the, the like funeral announcement mm -hmm. on uh, his bedside table, and then him rolling over. And that was the end. When we had that was going to be the end, yeah. When we had initially... Um, shot this that was the end of it mm -hmm. um and Ellsworth, there's there's Ellsworth. a few Ellsworth's uh, one that made me yeah. really change my mind on it yeah there's a few iterations that we did in there obviously which we can talk about why we did and maybe a couple of iterations that we tried um but when we sent that out to people um <clears throat> with that specific ending now there's a couple different versions of scene arrangement in the beginning and middle there but uh the feedback that we we're getting was like oh so he's just really like depressed and doesn't go hunting like he's just so sad he doesn't go hunting yeah and we we're like well yeah uh, he's depressed because uh he the he, person he, he calls he, isn't he, there the person he calls isn't there but people weren't making that connection yeah um we thought that they would naturally make that connection from him calling his dad at the truck, yeah, and then the dad's gone. Oh, okay, here's the connection. Uh, but as we showed it to people, we realized that connection is not as obvious as we thought it, that it was, which led us to think like, okay, we need a new, mm -hmm. we need another scene here. Uh, we need something to cement that. Uh, and we went back and forth with um, a bunch of different options, and eventually settled on, well. 
I think that he needs to make a call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I think we had, what was it, three different ideas for what that end, the the call end scene would be. Uh, one, obviously, was the one that we went with where he calls his dad and leaves him a voice message knowing that his dad won't receive the voice message. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had another one where he was going to go to pick up the phone, uh, go to dial his dad, and then the phone line was going to be disconnected. Mm-hmm. And then the other one where he goes to f- dial his dad and then doesn't end up making the call. Yeah. But goes as if it's it's muscle memory to do this. Um, and we ultimately went with him leaving the message because we felt like... One, that was a very realistic thing. Mm-hmm. And two, it gave the piece the space to kind of express the emotion that we wanted people to get and to really uh, digest how important the call is. It's so It was so important to the character of the story and, and to the people we hope this relates to that um, he still went through calling somebody that he knew would not hear it mm-hmm. and leaving them a voice message um, as a way to still be able to call that person yeah. as a way to almost try to communicate to that person mm-hmm. and, and um, not lose that for himself. Um, and in that, I mean, the performance, I think that's probably Jamie's best performance in the piece. Um we shot it maybe three or four times. I think that's his first performance. Yeah. I think that was his first call mm-hmm. uh, that we shot. And I think... And we just told him some high points. Like, hey, make sure you hit these high points. And he just kind of yeah. ad-libbed it. Yeah. Um, and I think that when we put that in there, it cemented it. Yeah. Um, like Clay had said, when we were editing before, there were points where I was kind of like, numb to the emotions of it right uh and there's a point with the edit that you're you kind of like you know logically that what you're doing is going to make this feeling but you can't feel it yourself because you've seen it five million times when i put that scene at the end of it and watched it uh it hit me and i knew that that was it yeah um that that was that was the cement that the piece needed because Again, going back to making something with intention and trying to make people feel things, we got to talking and saying, well, you know, the point is not to make people feel sad uh, just for the sake of it. And the point is not to make people be like, oh, well, he's so depressed he doesn't go hunting. That's not the point. Him not going hunting is a result of not having the person to call. And we want to connect uh, that feeling and that concept yeah that the call is what is important yeah and so the, without that the, scene i don't think that that the, it would have the call isn't important the person on the other end right. of the phone is what's important right that, yeah yeah you know what you're saying but yeah the, the the whole reason we did that scene the, the turning point for me was when i sent it to jason ellsworth he goes you're telling me he doesn't go hunting anymore it's like that's it and i'm like yeah that's it and he's like no he's got to go hunting again he's got to get up and go hunting again he has to and that was the scene for me, and it's like, okay, how do we do that? And then I called my buddy Casey Shootman and was kind of telling him through the idea, and he goes, I still call my granddad. He's been gone for three years. And I'm like, huh, okay, how do we do that? Um, so we, we – we, I think that's another – Spence, we're on the Redneck Tech Podcast. I think that's a really important thing that you have to do when you're doing something that might be outside your comfort zone or different or challenging is you've got to call and and, and – seek wise counsel from other people. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to um, get feedback, get info. And that's what we did. I mean, I called and talked to anybody who I trusted. And I think that that paid dividends in the end because I think I felt the same as Ryer. Like I felt like that the original idea did well and it was great in our heads. But when people that weren't in our heads watched it and didn't connect the dots or they did connect the dots, but it didn't have that gut punch like we wanted. When you put that scene at the end that shows that, you know, six months later he's back to hunting, and now the first time he successfully calls his dad and he leaves him a voicemail, um, that that's what 
brought it full circle for people. And the first phone call where he talks to him and the last phone call where he's no longer there and how those two calls are so important and how that person not being on the other end, how that will affect um, then working his daddy's gun in there and all that. I mean, it was, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience, and we're really thankful to have not only the friends to help us with it, but like Jamie to be there, be willing. I mean, Jamie drove all over creation and kind of did – it went above and beyond to do it. And um, didn't charge a talent. Didn't fee. charge a talent <laughs> fee. Thank God, couldn't have afforded them. Um, but he was, he was, he believed in the idea. He believed in the story, and I think that's what was important. Um, I still haven't showed it to my dad yet. What? I wanted it to be final before. I didn't want to show him like five or six iterations. I wanted him to like. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Now he won't open it. He won't watch it because <laughs> he knows what it is. No, it's just ain't got time. Oh come on! <laughs> I want to have a talk with your dad. Um, I've got some people I'm going to send it to now, now that it's done, done. Once it airs on Sunday, I've got a bunch of people I want to send it to. Um, I'm just debating on whether I should send them our Vimeo link or the YouTube version NWTF's going to put out. Probably that, the YouTube version that NWTF yeah, puts out. Probably should. Get them steezy views. Yeah. I guess I'll help NWTF out since they're sending it, you know, since, they're, since they're doing it. Um, yeah, tell them, tell everybody what dude it, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be disrespectful and say dude, I don't remember dude's name, but what he said when he, you sent it to him and he Oh, saw Gilbert? It. Yeah. So, um, when Gilbert, when Gilbert and I were on the phone talking about the idea after he'd watched it and we got to talking about the idea, the inception, you know, the, the emotion, the storytelling, all the things that really get us going and our creative juices flowing, like he couldn't get a word out. Like he got so flustered on the phone and so excited. He's like, hey, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't have words. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, some, to have someone. I I've talked about this on the podcast. I just love passion in people, and you could feel and hear the passion through the phone that he had, and uh, and I'm really glad that they're being the people that are the catalyst to get this in front of eyeballs of people that we we know it's going to mean a lot to. Um, thank you, NWTF. Thank you, Gilbert. Thank you for um, watching it and liking it and believing in it. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, we've got a few more ideas, so let's do that too. What else we got? I mean, how deep technically did you want to get into it? I think we do another podcast about the technical stuff. I think this is what – I think we got what I wanted for this. Um, I think we've got plenty of podcasts that we can do about it. Um, we could probably break down you know, three or four podcasts about different parts of it if we wanted to. We could yeah. do we could do each scene, yeah, just make it or a some, each scene or you know kind of the storyboard or kind of our our process for it. But I just kind of wanted to get it out there, talk about the film, and uh, hopefully people could watch it. It's kind of what I wanted, but yeah, I think um, obviously it's hasn't released yet, so uh, we don't know. How By the time people hear this, it will be released. Yeah, I mean right now. But from our standpoint, we yeah. have to operate on conjecture. Um, but I hope that people see it, and I hope that uh, people get something from it, and I hope that it makes people think about uh, what's important mm-hmm. in their lives. 100%. And that um, it's usually not things or activities that are important, but yeah. the people that you do those things and activities with. Um, I think that ultimately that's the the goal. And if it causes somebody to go call a parent, call a friend, call a sibling, um, make an effort to go and do those things with them, uh, I think we'll have done what we set out to do. Um, I'm excited that it's actually going somewhere. Um, and that it's going to be put out. Uh, it's been a long process from inception to getting it edited and dialed in. And then, uh, you know, there's been a, a whole mess of, of kind of how do we get this in front of people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a couple of different things that we were trying to do with it. Um, and I think that I'm, I think that, and I'm hoping that uh, NWTF is the right, fit for the piece yeah the fir- the uh, first i think that sorry. the i think that the um the message is something that aligns a lot to kind of what 
NWTF seems to um, stand for and advocate for. Mm-hmm. I know the NWTF uh, is large on heritage and tradition and um, passing both of those things down to the next generation. I think this film um, exemplifies a lot of those values, if not in a very obvious way, but in a, in a very subconscious, emotional way. Mm-hmm. The first teaser has twenty six thousand plays and mm. over three thousand likes. Yeah, really. Yeah. I, I wow. I want I want <laughs> I want everything that Ryer just said to happen. I want people to call that person. I want people to feel that. But in addition to that, what I want is I want this to challenge people in this industry to tell better stories, to tell deeper stories, to dig deeper, to not not focus or anchor everything that you do based on killing a big deer, big elk, big, you know, a bunch of turkeys, whatever it is. Those things are important and we will always do those things. And we love to be able to go film hunts and be successful. Don't get me wrong, but killing something should be icing on the cake. It shouldn't be the reason we go do it. And it shouldn't be the absolute punctuation mark on everything that we do. Um, I think that if you, critically think about things, if you work through problems, if you want to tell deeper, better stories, you got to think beyond killing something. you got to think beyond voiceover. you got to think beyond pretty shots. Um, you've got to dig a little deeper. And I, th- I hope that this challenges people to do that because it's challenged us now. Now I've got a fire lit under me to do more of this. Um, we just got to, excuse me, <clears throat> It's a little finer to me to do more of this, but we have to figure out a way for somebody to help us pay for it because this one was expensive. <laughs> um, but we want to do more of it. We love these type of things. We have ideas overflowing on how to do some really cool ones. We don't have them all fleshed out, but we've got the big idea. Like, you know, the, the day that I call Ryer, I've got several big ideas like that, but I want to be able to do them right. Um, and if they take three years to do again, then it takes three years to do again. But I want to do them right. And I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I think that's what, as an industry, we have to do. We have to try and figure out a way to everything that we put out has to fit the narrative for the 80% of people out there who are, are giving us the right to hunt and fish. The ones that are voting to be able to allow us to continue to hunt and fish. Those are the ones that are making a decision. 10% of us hunt and fish will always vote for it. 10% of the non-hunters are always going to vote against it no matter what you do. We've got to make sure everything we put out is for that 80%, the ones that are going to make the decisions. Um, And if everything that we do is based around a kill, you're going to alienate that 80%. So just think about that. Challenge yourself to do better, to dig deeper, to work harder. I just got an idea for a film, so we got to talk about it when we get done. <laughs> Perfect. I All think right. that I think that we've been trying, like you said, to do something <clears throat> that challenges the conventions of storytelling within the hunting space. Um, there things come out every once in a while that do that, um, but they're few and far between. And I think a lot of that is a um, feedback loop within our industry where. Yeah. Uh, the content, first of all, the content, because it, I, there's a difference between um, content and media, but the content that is rewarded are, I think, often the shallowest forms uh, of stories in the space. I think there is a incredible opportunity to tell a wide range of stories um, with a wide range of emotions uh, about a wide range of, of people and traditions and heritage and um, lifestyles and personalities that uh, I don't think are explored because they, those types of um, those types of media and those types of content are not rewarded by likes and views and shares um, they're not rewarded by sponsor dollars. They're not rewarded by uh, winning film festivals. They're not awarded by the audience that they're trying to reach because uh, for whatever reason, 
the, I mean, not for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons that we talk about them all the time. Uh, the hunting industry and the hunting audience does not reward things that don't fit into, uh, you know, kind of a pre-selected um, number of boxes. There's a few stories that get told over and over and over and over again uh, with different iterations in different settings with different people. But it's basically the same story um, because that's what gets rewarded. And hopefully um, this may spur some folks to uh, tell some of the harder stories, tell some of the less uh, accessible stories, tell some of the more meaningful stories, tell some of the stories that aren't going to get them, uh, you know, the quick likes, the quick views, the the hype, the quick oh, holy crap, I just saw you made that cool video on Instagram. I saw you guys made that cool YouTube video. Like, the types of content that don't get that. Um, and hopefully explore some of the um, deeper and maybe more nuanced sides and stories that are present in the industry. Yep. All right. I guess we can get back to work today, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, guys. Peace.